0: hi listeners welcome back we um are back after a couple weeks off so welcome pastor brad
1: Uh, it's good to be here and healthy
0: yeah we've all been kind of the office staff in general (laughs) we all can't seem to stay healthy can we We are a
1: bit of a mess right now that's true but i think we're on the mend i think (laughs) most people are coming back at least at this point
0: yeah to start round four or five yeah i was gonna say
1: i'm we're not through the season yet i'm (laughs) Praying for Easter and spring and no more flu and all that. Yeah,
0: I can't wait for that first day where all the windows can pop open, get the Lysol (laughs) spraying,
1: get the germs
0: gone. Well, we're glad you're back and we're glad that you're healthy and your family's on the mend. Uh, This Sunday, I love how you started it because we've all are familiar with watching that show on TV and go, wait, that's the last episode? Yeah. So I like how you compared that you know, right before Christmas. Um, so the previously on was the title of your message and you went over 11 points or 11 mm-hmm. takeaways from the first 10 yeah. chapters of yeah, Corinthians. Yeah, 10 chapters
1: of 1 Corinthians, yeah.
0: Um, we don't probably have time to go back on all of them right. and I think you did a great job covering them. There are a few at the end that I, I, I have a, f- a few questions on and would love um, for our recap to kind of focus on those. Yeah, yeah. Um, Number eight, you had said that you had kind of titled that point "defending personal liberty rather than brotherly love," and uh, I believe when you originally covered this one, you you had kind of compared to COVID a yeah. little bit. If that's yep. correct, um, not right or wrong, you were just saying that was a great tangible example of yeah. what we've all been through lately. Yeah. Um, can you expound more on that? You know, I when I when I heard you talk about that one. And you said it gets personal for us. It really does. Because we tend to get wrapped up in, well, I have the not only a little bit maybe of the American ideal mm-hmm. as well as, mm-hmm. well, I have the right to do this. Don't tell me what to do. But where does that fall in then loving yeah. with brotherly love? Can yeah. you expound on this a little bit?
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting as, as we're heading into chapters 11 through 14, which are all about the corporate communal nature of the church. Um Part of the reason he he hits on these things is like, why does a community of people getting together not work? Yeah. What causes it to not function? What causes it to have divisions and disagreements and disunity and and those sort of things? And it really is this expression of, like we talked briefly about it, I don't remember which point we talked about that on, but everyone doing what's right in their own eyes. Right, And yeah. if you do any reading about kind of modern psychology and the implications of expressive individualism, where it's like, I have the right to do whatever I think, whatever I want, whatever I... Um, those are thoroughly American ideals, right? Like everything in our, in our modern culture is talking about rights. You know. So we, we make up rights that aren't real, <laughs> real rights, and then we, we plant our flag on that, right? Like, this is my right. And, and two questions. First of all, I mean, like in the cultural question, you'd be like, well, where's that right coming from? Is it, a, is it a divine right? You know, is it coming from, from something bigger than you or are you just making that up yourself? But more specifically in the church, the question would be, okay, biblically, where does that right come from? That right you're claiming, where does it come from? Okay, let's assume you can look at it. I mean, and Paul does that, you know, when he starts talking about, um, talking about his rights in chapter nine, he goes, okay, I have this right. I can make a biblical argument for it and yet I'm gonna lay it down. Right? Yeah. The, the mandate to love is more important than me defending my biblically claimed rights. And, and that's really the crux of the issue, right? You know, I mean, they're talking about food sacrifice to idols, and we talked about contextually, what all is that going on, yeah. and you know, who's hurting who, and how's that yeah. working when we walk through that text. Um, but that idea of my, my love will limit my liberty as a Christian is a thoroughly biblical concept. And so when we get so concerned with defending my personal liberty, my personal rights over my brothers and sisters in Christ, that's when we get ourselves in a really big trouble. And and I just can't help but think, okay, like what if Christ did that? Like Christ had the right to stay in heaven. He had the right to all honor and all glory and all dominion and everything under his feet.
0: Far more than (laughs) we can even imagine. He
1: had the right to whatever he wanted. He had the glory, he had everything and yet, What did he choose to do? He chose to lay down the things that he had the right to in order to come to earth, to die on our behalf, right? To pay the penalty for our sin. And and that's exactly what Paul calls the Corinthian church to do. He says, yes, you could make a biblical argument that you have the right to eat meat. But... It's hurting your brothers and sisters right. in Christ, and what is that saying about what you believe about the gospel? And so, yeah, we t- we talked about COVID, you know, and we talked about um, the different motivations, you know, and some of that, and what's going on. And I, when we get more concerned with flaunting our Christian freedoms than we do with loving our brothers and sisters in Christ, we get ourselves in a dangerous territory.
0: And, and one thing that you had you had uh, charged us with too is is kind of what you just said there is. Don't let it get in the way because it does get in the way of the gospel. And so yeah. that was a solid reminder. Um, you had 11
1: yeah.
0: previously Previously, on. You went over yeah, 11 yeah. episodes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> we'll, we'll keep exactly. the TV theme going. So if you miss those listeners, you can go back to our website. You can find the podcast. We just put the sermon on the podcast. And so um, just look up Faith Bible Church, and you can go back over those 11 because we don't have time to do that today. Um, One more I want to cover, Brad, that you went over was number 10. (laughs) Toying with temptation rather than fleeing from it. We think we know that line, right? We'll go right up to that line, and we'll be able to stop ourselves before we step over it. I was convicted by that because so many times you think, yeah, I got this under control. I got my flesh under control. And we like to go right up to that point, but quickly we find ourselves tripping over it. Yeah. Taking a step over it, and then its damage has been done, yeah, right? Yeah. So expound a little bit more applicationally. How do we stop ourselves from getting right up to that line? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I, I think Paul's words in First Corinthians ten are really the answer, right? I mean. It's it's the antidote for this type of thinking, right? Because that's I, I love that he goes to the Old Testament in First Corinthians ten, right? Because he says, okay, look look at the Israelites. If you, if you read your Old Testament, what you find again and again and again and again and is examples of this. Like you get examples of people not. Committing themselves to God's law and not fleeing from temptation, they're like, Well, let's combine a little bit of pagan culture and and you know, um, and you know, worship of God, you know, or or Solomon, you know, he's got all the wisdom in the world and he says, Well, I'm gonna take a little bit of God and worship of God and and then I'm gonna marry all these foreign wives, you know, and I'm yeah. gonna bring that sort of idolatry into our country. And and you get all these old testament examples of people that are like, No, I'm good. We got this. Yeah. Or even the whole cycle of the judges, you know, that hmm. you see again and again through that book. You're like, they were in trouble, they cry out to God, he sends a deliverer, he rescues them. What happens after they're rescued? <laughs> things are good, they've got peace on all sides, they start to go back to doing the same and things they the did before and yeah. they could do it again and again and again <laughs> and again. And that's the whole cycle because that's human nature. That's what we do, right? We, we, When things are good, when we think we're in, in good shape, we get ourselves into trouble, which sounds oddly familiar to 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12. Therefore, right. let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. That's precisely the point. Like, pride becomes this issue. And it was the stronger brothers, right? He's he's addressing both the weaker and the stronger brothers related to this meat offering to idols here. He picks up that theme, but he's speaking to the stronger brothers here. he's saying, you that think you're strong, be careful because you your exercise of your Christian liberty is toying with these pagan rituals and participation with demons. And you need to be really, really careful because you're going right up to that line thinking I can do whatever I want because I'm stronger. Yeah. And you're actually participating in something that's very dangerous. Like you're not as spiritually mature as you are. And that's like, that's one of the implications of spiritual arrogance. We get head knowledge without genuine life transformation. Yeah. And it, it puts us in a position where what's valuable to us is looking like we're spiritual to everybody else. Yeah. Right. You know I mean? Like that's that ego thing. That's that okay. facade thing. That's that I want to appear godly but my heart hasn't actually been changed, right? And so two things happen in that moment. Number one, you presume a spiritual arrogance, you presume a spiritual maturity, right? Let he who thinks he stands, you presume you're untouchable. Yeah. And then on the other side, what it does is you hide where you're failing, right? Because you have to maintain that balance. Well, sin loves to thrive in darkness right? Yeah. Sin loves to thrive in those corners of our heart where we hide what we're really struggling with. And so you are setting yourself up to fall, right? And, but he encourages in verse 13, and I love that he goes on. He says, no temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man. He's reminding them that temptation is normal, that what they struggle with is normal. It's not strange. It's actually an indication of your spiritual health. If you're willing to say, I'm not perfect, Yeah, right? Like that, that's, that's going on. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Well, what is the way of escape? Like, what is he talking about? He's Mm -hmm. talking about fleeing from temptation. But he's also going to go on in chapters 11 through 14 and remind people that one of the ways of escape they have is brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah. But when we presume arrogance, we push other people away and we don't let people in. And so there's no light on that corner, that darkness in our heart. And there's no awareness that we need other people. We find ourselves in isolation and we're more concerned with looking spiritual than actually being spiritual. Mm-hmm. As a result, we fall, right? Well,
0: and that vulnerability, like how can you sit there and evangelize and identify with the person across from you if you're so, coming across so far above spiritually but haven't yeah. shown the weaknesses in your own life?
1: Yeah. And I mean, modern evangelical culture, I think, speaks a lot to this, this whole, you know, um, celebrity pastor phenomenon, these prolific sure. writers and prolific pastors. And, and somebody gets to the point where they're above accountability, they're above transparency. They're like, I can't be human because I have this following of people online that if they find out I'm human, they're going to turn on me. What does that do? It puts the person up on a pedestal and it sets them up for failure. Yeah. Right? Like it, it I mean, some of it's their own doing and some of it's our doing right? We put that person in a specific spot and we put them in a position where they're getting ready for a fall,
0: Yeah.
1: right? And so some of us do that to ourselves. Some of us do that to other people. And it's a scary place to be because again, the appearance of godliness is prioritized over actual endurance of temptation.
0: Yeah. And, and one of the things I liked, your your key point, your key conclusion was, mm-hmm. which I loved all the D words, by the way, way to, way to synthesize that. We've been that. I building that. this for yeah, you know eight months. Good. I've
1: had a little bit of time to think about it. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I'm just going to read what you had on the slide. Spiritual arrogance produces divisions, disagreements, disputes, and disunity because it, n- because it nullifies grace. Yeah. And you wrapped it up coming back to it is it is God's grace. It's, it's his work and none of our own. You had mentioned chapters 11 through 14. Mm-hmm. So our previously on is now coming back.
1: Yeah. Right? We're yeah. going to
0: start this Sunday. Yeah. Tell us what we have to look forward to this Sunday. Where are we headed?
1: Yeah, the, the reason I kind of use that metaphor is because it, it is hard because in many ways the, the climax of the book comes towards the end, right? Like Paul's building to this. He's been, it feels like very negative. You know, he's criticizing the church. He's addressing issues. I mean, I think as you look at it, he's layered in a lot of encouragement, a lot of grace. Um, and yet it's kind of building to this. thing. So like, well, okay, we're not working right. And he's going, well, this, let me tell you why things aren't working right. And, and, and these chapters 11 through 14 get into um, what does that look like when you come together? You know, I think that's the best thing. It's, it's kind of one of those situations where, you know, like you can get along with a family member if they live halfway across the country and you never talk to them. Right. You know what I mean? Like when, Until you're when in we're the same together, room turkey. Yeah, bingo. Like, and then all of a sudden it comes out, right? <laughs> right. Well, the church by its nature, by, I mean, the, the nature of the church, uh, ecclesia is a gathered, assembled body of people. So if you've got a group of people... That wants to be in isolation because there's so many fights and disputes between them. Then, when they come together, you can imagine what that family gathering is going to look yeah. like. You know, right? Like yeah. that that family dinner. If you've just pushed everything under the rug and pretended like it's okay, then all of a sudden somebody brings up that topic, and it's like you set off a time bomb <laughs> under the Thanksgiving table, and it's just a matter of <laughs> when it's going to explode. Right. And that's what's going on in First Corinthians eleven through fourteen. Mm-hmm. He's like, okay, so all of these all of these championing of your own personal opinions you're picking your favorite leader that you like and picking the way you think you should act morally in these situations and defending your rights and these disputes Mm -hmm. over your freedoms let me explain how that's manifesting itself when your church comes together yeah you know and so he's going to talk about some of those things that come together one of the first texts that he addresses uh here it's not this week but next week he talks about the lord's supper and he talks about the very nature of this is communion like when you commune, commune when you yeah. participate, when you are in fellowship with one another, you're all being so selfish yeah. that God's actually judging you. Wow. Right? Like and then he talks about spiritual gifts and, and the way that works out.
0: Right there. It's an
1: extremely serious statement. And I think we have to take it seriously when we get to that text because it's like, okay, the way you guys are treating each other, I am judging you with physical illness. <laughs> like mm. I, like that's that's like we go, "What?" you know, sort of a thing. Like that's crazy. Yeah but it's the word, right? Like this is what it tells. And then, you know, and then we talk about you know, chapter 12 and spiritual gifts and all this diversity. Why are you not agreeing with each other? Well, you have different gifts and different abilities. And, and then we get to chapter 13, yeah. right? And then we get to the chapter on love. And I've been avoiding going there mm-hmm. because I want the tension of the book to build us to chapter 13 when he finally talks about, let me tell you what love looks like. And then he goes on he explains, okay, now he applies it a little bit. And then he gets to chapter 15 and talks about the resurrection. Let me show you what love manifest Christ himself looks like. You know, and so he talks about the gospel and he talks about their need for each other. And this whole book has been building this direction and kind of pointing uh, to where everything is going and what Paul is trying to communicate to this church. That, that they need to be broken. They need to be broken of their arrogance and broken of their lovelessness. They need to recognize that they need God. They need the gospel and they need each other. And that's critical.
0: Okay. So what I'm hearing is we just got done with the, f- if, if Corinthians was broken up, it almost seems like we're looking at three parts.
1: Yeah, in, in many ways you see that. It's, what I love is that the book is extremely practical. So as yeah. he addresses the different topics, he's, he's addressed very practically, okay, like this is what you need to do. You need to stop doing this, and you need to stop doing this. And yet there's that them- thematic arc yep. going on in the book of as he starts layering in theology they need to understand, as he starts explaining what the solution in many ways is to these problems. And ultimately it ends on a note of hope
0: mm-hmm. You know, with
1: the resurrection and where things are going.
0: I'm excited for where we're headed. It's mm-hmm. been really great recapping. I really appreciate last Sunday that you recapped the first ten chapters for us. You've you've highlighted where we're headed. Give us one little piece of advice or what can we do in the next few days to prepare for Sunday? So as we're sitting there and you're gonna these are not light topics yeah. <laughs> that you've yeah. previewed. Yeah. How can we how can we start thinking through some of our own discrepancies?
1: The first text right out the gate, right? He gives He gives them a commendation, but he addresses, this is the head coverings text. This deals with the way men and women are supposed to operate inside the church. And it's like part of the reason we we walk this direction is, okay, here it comes. Two big questions. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 11, verses 2 through 16. I'd encourage our listeners to listen to that or read that in anticipation of the message. But the question we have to ask at this point as it comes to this is, am I going to defend my rights and freedoms when the church gathers together? Or am I going to submit to God's plan for what the church is and what he has called me to do and functioning within that? If I believe that God is good and he has a plan for the way humans ought to function when they're in community with one another, specifically within the church, um, am I willing (laughs) to abide by what the text is going to talk about? Because it's going to talk about some tough subjects and some things that culturally we're going to be like, wait a second. That's way out of line. Like, how can somebody say that? Well, here's the question. Are we going to operate by God's plan for God's church, or are we going to defend our rights and freedoms as we yeah. address these subjects? I a while back, somebody sent me a quote that I really appreciated. Uh, I may use it on Sunday, so I'm not going to use it here today, but it basically su- speaks to the point of, like, are you a, a practical inerrantist or are you a theoretical inerrantist? Uh. Like, do you theoretically ascribe to the idea that scripture is inerrant, it's infallible, it's sufficient, it answers everything we need to know for life and godliness? Yep. Or when you run into texts like this, you find yourself, I'm not a big fan of that. I think we'll just avoid that or we'll just contextualize that away so it has no relevance to us today.
0: Well, thank you for sitting down, Pastor Brad. I look forward to sitting down with you next week and hearing more about chapter 11.
1: (laughs) My my pleasure. I'm sure it's going to be a uh, healthy dialogue next (laughs) week. I'm sure
0: it will. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Midweek in the Word Sunday Recap. This is a production of Faith Bible Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. We'll be back next week with a new recap and a forward look to our Sunday sermon. Make sure to like and subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. We leave you with this encouragement out of 1 Corinthians 1.9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We'll see you next week as we sit down with Pastor Brad for another episode of Midweek in the Word Sunday Recap.